You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. You can go to the back there, be led to your classes. And for us, we will be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Uh, We're continuing in this series uh, we're calling Word of Life, uh, words of Jesus uh, right out of his mouth recorded in the scriptures, inspired by the Spirit through the writers, and so we can sit here this morning and learn from Jesus uh, the most powerful thing that any human being can do, honestly, to to learn from Jesus himself, uh, aided by the Holy Spirit. So that's our goal this morning, no less than that. And as Matt uh, prayed, uh, that's always our prayer, it's always our desire, that our hearts would be soft before the Lord, not hard, not resistant, Um, that we wouldn't cherish our sin, uh, come here with a prideful attitude as if we're already complete works uh, that that God has finished uh, or as if uh, we have no need for him, but let's come to him honestly, humbly, hearts open to what he would teach us this morning. and, and, and I'm not saying this because of the particular content that we're gonna learn uh, from Jesus about this morning, but, but let me say this just as um, a kind of a, an opening remark, and I, and I say it including myself, uh, as we always want to do, let's do this morning, uh, let's, let's not protect those parts of our hearts that we know are far from God. It's a really easy thing to do. It's the easier thing to do to come and, and uh, gather together with believers and have his word before us and invite his Holy Spirit to come and speak to us, but we hold on reserve some parts of our hearts that we're just not really willing for the Lord to get at. Some, some issue in us, some brokenness, maybe some sinfulness in us that we're not willing to have the Lord attack We feel that we're not ready for that. We're not ready to let go of that part of ourselves or our lives. Uh, Let's not try to play that game with the Lord this this morning. Let's be wholeheartedly open to him and what he might do, what he might teach us this morning. I think that's the wise uh, position to take before the Lord, the appropriate one. So let's seek to have that attitude this morning. All right, now, all we, as we always do, um, I'll read this passage out loud. This is all, every word of this is Jesus speaking himself. Um, I'll read this passage out loud if you'd follow along, and then we're going to pray, ask the Lord for some more help before uh, we begin seeking to learn from him. So Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9, if you're new to the scriptures, uh, that's Glad you're here, really glad you're here. Uh, You've probably heard of Old and New Testament. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament recording the life of Jesus and his ministry. And so uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Matthew is where we are, chapter six. Starting in verse 19. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. Lord, we do come before you confessing our need for you. In fact, Lord, I want to confess that I understand my need for you is greater than I understand my need to be. I realize, Lord, that that I and I imagine most of us, maybe all of us, are in greater need of you than we realize. Please help us, Lord. 
We are just regular people here who have been called by you, called out of darkness and into light, called out of sin and into righteousness, called out of rebellion and into obedience, out of idolatry and into worship of you, the true and living God. But we confess, Lord, our weakness, our limitation, our failures. And we ask that you would please meet with us here in that confession, in that honesty, and do a work of your spirit that is surprising and powerful, life-changing, worship-creating. Help us to understand your word, Lord. As Matt was praying, I agree, Lord, with his prayer. Please help us to understand and comprehend what your word says. And, and as your word says, to comprehend how wide and how deep the love of God is. Help us right now, Lord, please, in a, in a life-changing way that's good for your name and good for your people. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here, uh, as we've seen from Jesus, he is, um, sorry, whose Bible is this? Is this, it's not mine. Is, am I supposed to read from this? Did I not get a memo? <laughs> There it is. Man, what a godly dude. Proud of you, Jacob. He's, he, he often leads, leaves his Bible here because he's so passionate to preach, and this is where, you know, he sees the preaching happening, and he just loves the Word of God. So proud of you, brother. All right, so as we've seen so many times before, uh, we're, we're seeing again in this passage Jesus is, is revealing himself to be greater than the world. Greater than the world and greater than anything the world has to offer. And that, of course, infuriates all of his opponents, everyone who doesn't believe in him, doesn't believe he is who he claims to be. That infuriates them because he's making claims about himself consistently that, that would suggest to you, either kind of inadvertently or overtly even, suggest to you that he is not just a human being, not just a wise teacher, not just a prophet, not just a rabbi, someone to be followed, someone to be looked to as an example, but he is actually God. And he's speaking authoritatively here, as he always is, speaking authoritatively about life, about eternity, about the value of life, about the value of God, what God's worthy of, and what an appropriate response to God is in all of his worthiness, all of his majesty, his eternal glory. What is an, what is an appropriate response to God? So in this sermon, what we normally call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is over and over again talking about true belief and then how to align your life in agreement, in an appropriate response to actually believing in who God actually is. So he, he talks on these different points, loving your enemies, giving to the needy, how to pray, how to fast. Should we be anxious for anything? How we live our lives in relationship to the law of God. And over and over again, what Jesus is doing is getting at the heart, always getting at the heart. And this passage here where Jesus teaches on where our allegiances lie, what we're devoting our lives to, he's doing the same thing he's always been doing, getting at the heart. So here in this passage, I'm gonna read it to you again because it's short and I just hope it's fresh in our minds and we'll work our way through the passage, but let me read it out loud again. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now he's saying to do this because, when he says for, he's saying now because of that truth, because of that this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's getting at the heart. Motives, desires. He says the lamp 
Uh, sorry, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. We'll get into the, the imagery that he's using there in a little bit. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either will he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now the word that he's using there for money is, is actually this word mammon, which means all earthly possessions, anything related to possessions that you could acquire, not just cash. Now if we can work our way back through this, the word here translated lay up can also be translated store up, lay up or store up. It's the same concept. So when you say lay up, maybe that's an odd phrase that we wouldn't use for ourselves, but when we say store up or save up, that's, some, that's a concept we can identify with. It's like the, the idea of storing up a storehouse with valuables, with possessions. Think of your attic. Think of a, a storage container. Think of a savings account. Jesus is telling his disciples to avoid spending our lives storing up earthly treasures, saving up earthly things. Now, Jesus does not say to make sure you own nothing of value, okay? Don't take Jesus there because that's not where he's going. That, that's why uh, you can't say Jesus wants you to be rich and you can't say Jesus wants you to be poor. Jesus is saying don't devote your life to acquiring possessions Okay, that doesn't mean that you can't own anything nice. What it means is don't devote yourself to owning nice things or what you think is nice. Maybe a lot of what you're storing up and saving up, other people think is garbage and stupid. In any case, it's about things, possessions, stuff, including money. He's saying don't uh, don't devote yourself to spending your life storing up earthly treasures. So we have to remember here, he's getting at the heart. This isn't just about behavior. Over and over, it's so easy, it's so tempting to hear Jesus give commands, give a way of uh, a pattern of life and to think, okay, if I can just keep in step with exactly what Jesus said to do, if I can just align all my behavior and format my life, According to what Jesus is saying, then I'll be good. He'll be pleased with me, I'll go to heaven, God will be generous to me, but that's not really the case here. What Jesus is getting at is the motive, the desire, the intention of the heart. Not just do this or don't do that, but don't want this. You must want that. Want, desire, feeling, emotion. He's getting at the heart. He's saying we shouldn't seek to compile things that are treasures to us here on earth. So when he says treasure, uh, I want to give kind of a definition of what I think is an appropriate definition to help us understand the point Jesus is trying to make. I think an appropriate definition of treasure here is things of utmost value. Things of utmost value. Do not lay up for yourselves or store up for yourselves treasures on earth, things that to you are of utmost value, which could be anything, right? Don't just think money. Don't just think a house or a car. It could easily be those things. Maybe that's what is, is really of utmost value to you. You're tempted to find your, your highest pleasure in those things, but maybe not. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's something a little sneakier. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your kids. Things of utmost value. That's relative to you as a person. Don't devote your life to storing up, saving up, protecting things of utmost value that are temporary. They're just this life. You can't take them with you. The root lesson is this, if we're treasuring earthly things, our affections are misplaced. That's the root lesson here of what Jesus is really getting at, what he's attacking. If you treasure something, then you are ascribing utmost value to that 
thing, and if that thing that you ascribe utmost value to is earthly, then you have a misplaced affection for it, a misplaced desire, unhealthy devotion to that thing. So if there are things in this world that we value so highly that we seek to hoard them for pleasure's sake or for security's sake, then we have idolized those things. We've idolized those things. How do I know this is true? Jesus is telling us. Verse 21, look at it. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In ancient Jewish culture, the heart is the core of the person's being, just the way we would talk about it today. It's, it's my heart. This is my heart. Oh, he has my heart. She has my heart. God has my heart. Or you, maybe you have a heart for the poor or a heart for uh, widows or a heart for the nations. What we're saying is there's something deep in the core of who we are that is gripped by a certain thing. Jesus is saying, whatever it is you treasure, whatever it is you ascribe utmost value to, you devote your life to acquiring and protecting and saving up, it has your heart. That's where your heart is. That's the core of your being is really gathered around, bowing down to that thing. What is that thing? Is it anything but Jesus? That's idolatry. You see the point Jesus is really getting at, the deep kind of scary place that Jesus is, is getting to in our hearts? If you're devoting yourself to acquiring a thing, arranging your life around getting it, protecting it, saving it up, piling it up because that gives you a sense of pleasure or security, then that thing is an idol in your life. It's got your heart in a way that only God should have your heart. Listen to the Apostle Paul, Philippians 3, verse 8. Now, he was talking about his earthly status, his, uh, his kind of hereditary Jewish status as a person who is a, a Pharisee, a devoted man, somebody with all the credentials of devout religion and approval before God as a Jew. And he says this about everything that he could have ascribed great value to and found his identity in and arranged his life around. He says, Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. All things, everything, loss, rubbish. Paul's telling the Philippians that he sees Jesus as such a surpassingly worthy treasure that compared to him, all else is garbage. Garbage. Just to know Jesus, he says, is better than owning the universe. Just to know him. That doesn't even give, I mean, you, there's, there's theology behind that that would say you possess something, you have an inheritance in Christ, but knowing Jesus doesn't put something in your hand. You don't physically, in an earthly sense, own anything by nature of knowing Jesus, and yet just to know Jesus, in Paul's estimation, makes you wealthier than the wealthiest person. Just to know him is worth more than all earthly possessions. The prosperity preacher says, confidently referencing some out of context Old Testament verses about Israel or something like that. Jesus wants to give us heavenly treasure and earthly treasure. You familiar with this teaching? Turn on your TV for five seconds. Yes, of course, Jesus is worth more, but he wants us to have both. He's the greatest treasure and he wants to fill our bank accounts and fill our homes and give us really big homes to fill with lots of great things. He wants us to have both, heavenly and earthly treasure. But the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to believe and to write that all things are rubbish 
compared to knowing Christ. Anything on earth that you could acquire, that you could possess, that you could store up is worth nothing compared to knowing Christ. Prosperity Guide defends his position here. Well, yes, compared to knowing Jesus, earthly treasures are rubbish, but that doesn't make them bad. But why are you so concerned with owning so much rubbish? Isn't that the question? Why would Jesus be concerned with piling up so much rubbish in your life? If you know him, you have everything. And compared to him, everything else is nothing. Why would we be so concerned with owning so much rubbish? Here comes the answer. Listen to the rest of what Jesus says here, starting in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. The figurative eye here is similar to the heart. It represents the way a person views the world, the quality of their character, their worldview. It's their perspective on everything. It's what they take in and how they take it in. If your worldview is healthy, you'll be full of God's light, his goodness, his blessing. But if your worldview is unhealthy, you'll be full of darkness, evil, sin. If you're taking everything in an idolatrous way, then you will be filled with idolatry, with darkness. But if your perspective has God at the center of utmost value, the greatest treasure that you could have, then you'll be full of God's light. A desire to store up earthly treasures here in Jesus' context points to an idolatrous overvaluing of earthly things. And that's a dark way to live. Jesus says we have to make a choice. We will either serve the one and not the other. Serve here is an interesting word. It's important for you to understand the real Greek word that's being recorded here when he says no one can serve two masters. That word is from that, that Greek word doulos that maybe you've seen before. It means slave. That's the word that Jesus is using here. You'll either be a slave to one or to the other. You'll serve and, and be exclusively owned by, possessed by the one master or the other. Which is our master going to be? God or money, earthly treasures, things? I know that seems like a rhetorical question. Which one is going to be our master? Well, you're at church this morning. That says something about you, maybe. I mean, I know it's possible to go to church and your heart is very far from God and your desires have nothing to do with God, but church is just a thing you're supposed to do to be a good person. This happens a lot in our culture. Maybe that's you. Well, let me invite you to think of something much greater about what's happening here this morning, that we are actually trying to answer, seeking the, the right, the holy, the good, the eternally valuable answers to these questions like, what are we going to devote ourselves to? Who is our master going to be? Who will we devote ourselves exclusively to serving Ascribing utmost value to, will it be God or will it be money? Will it be earthly treasures? It's not a rhetorical question. The answer is not so obvious. I don't think it is because there are two layers to it. There are two layers to how we're going to answer this question of who will be our master, God or treasures. Here are the two layers. The first layer is the heart. First layer is the heart. This is what Jesus is always getting at, of course. It's just the first layer that we want to talk about. 
And here's a question attached to this that will help you kind of decide, okay, layer one, right, right there on the surface, who is my master going to be? Who will I ascribe utmost value to and devote myself to serving and to acquiring? Will it be like Paul who saw all other earthly treasures as rubbish compared just to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord? Or will my master be money? Will it be possessions? Will it be treasures? Will I devote myself in my heart to acquiring things? Here's the question that you can ask yourself to kind of gauge, to kind of test your heart. What is my greatest desire? What is my greatest desire? This actually is a deeper question than you might think. I want to invite you to ask yourself that question now and to ask the Holy Spirit to actually know the actual answer of your heart. Not the thing that you know is the right answer because we can all real easily play that game. Uh, We don't just put on a face for others. We even do it in front of ourselves, don't we? We look in a mirror and we pretend to not see what's really there. We see the person with the halo over their head holding the Bible in a white robe. And we've got some imperfections, but on a whole, all right, the majority, 51% of me, desires God. Let's be honest with ourselves. Let's answer the question, what is my greatest desire? The motive, the thing that impassions me, the desire I have that that overwhelms all other desires so that if I only had one pursuit in life, this is the thing that I'm most captured by, most gripped by. What is my greatest desire? You answer that question and you know what your heart is. You know where your heart is, where your allegiances lie, the thing you're most devoted to. Now, the second layer is this. Once you kind of know that, the, the answer to that question, which I don't assume you already know because it's deep and it can take a lot of prayer and a lot of exploring your heart and taking inventory of your life. And the second question, the second layer, I think is gonna help us to actually assess our hearts, that first layer, and help us to understand what is my heart? What is my greatest desire? And you may have to kind of reverse engineer so that you understand yourself and you can have some acts of repentance and some greater devotion. Here it is, the second layer. The overflow of the heart is the second layer. The first layer is the heart. What is my greatest desire? And the second layer is the overflow of the heart. Here's a question for you. How will we arrange our lives to reflect our greatest desires? How will I arrange my life so that it appropriately reflects my greatest desires in life? Now, here's why I think that's so important. Why I think that helps us get to what Jesus is really talking about. Because it's so, so easy to ascribe verbally utmost value to Jesus and to say confidently, boldly even, Jesus is of utmost value, knowing him, having Christ Jesus my Lord is worth more than anything else I could have in all this life. You can have the world, just give me Jesus. But then we can spend our lives in absolute contradiction and betrayal of what we've just said. The way we allot our time, the way we spend our money, the thing that occupies our attention and that we become anxious over, the things that we're turning over and over in our minds that might keep us awake at night that we spend all of our days trying to figure out for what purpose? What is it about our lives that reflects our greatest desires? I guarantee you in my life there's so much contradiction and betrayal. Because I will stand before you always and I will tell you that Jesus Christ is of utmost value. He's the greatest treasure that could ever be had, that could ever be known. 
The kingdom of God is like a man who finds a treasure buried in a field and then he covers it back up, goes away, sells everything he has in order to buy that field. Jesus is the treasure buried in the field. He's worth losing everything for. I will always stand before you and say that. And yet, if you were to take a careful examination of my life, I am confident that you would find multiple areas where I am contradicting my confession. My claims to hold Jesus as the greatest treasure would be undermined by the way I spend my time, the way I spend my money, the things that I devote attention to, the things I become anxious over, the things that I'm passionate about, the things that I, I, rather than honoring God, glorifying God, I get really passionate about this thing over here that really has nothing to do with him. And I guarantee you that if you took a real inventory, a real assessment of your own heart, your own life, you would find similar contradictions. Now, why am I saying that? Well, first of all, because I think that's what Jesus is saying. Because our our affections, our devotions cannot be divided. We need to choose a master and be wholeheartedly devoted to that master. I think, I believe, I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit inside of us will win the battle for our affections so that we will be devoted appropriately to our master, our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ and count him as worthy of all of our attention, all of our time, all of our money so that he is honored by the way we live and there's an appropriate response to the desires of our hearts, an overflow of the heart that fits with our desire. But I know how easy it is. This is why I'm honing in here. I believe it's why Jesus is making such a strong, stark kind of point about this because he knows how easy it is to say this and live this to mouth these words but have desires that contradict them, to ascribe utmost value to Jesus and the worship and the glory of his name, but then the moment-by-moment reality of our lives is not really focused there. And I, I don't mean that if you ascribe truly from the heart utmost value to Jesus, that knowing him is worth more than possessing all the world, that if you truly believe that, then you will be living in some dark place in the world, very poor, starving among the starving, making the gospel known to people who've never heard it before, and you'll die as a full-time missionary with books written about him uh, that people will read off the shelves of Lifeway. That's not the only way that happens. I know those are kind of the heroes of our faith, you know, these people that are so well-known, even the apostles that we read about in the scriptures, but this can absolutely play out in the life that God has given you today. You can live in absolute devotion to Jesus Christ as your greatest treasure in the life that God has given you today with the job that you have, the spouse that you have or don't have, the kids that you have or don't have, the job that you have or don't have, the day-to-day reality of your life can be marked by real belief in Jesus as the greatest treasure. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Things that will not last for eternity. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Working for eternity, living for eternity for the glory of Christ, for those things that Jesus will look right into your eyes and say, well done, 
good and faithful service. Here is your reward. Living for those things, treasuring those things, seeking to compile those things. You can do that at your job, in your home, your family life. Jesus exemplifies this for us in that he was willing to give up what he had in heaven. He was willing to leave heaven and come to this earth in obedience to the Father's will so that he would come in this appearance as a man, in this human form, as a servant, and become obedient to the will of the Father even to the point of death, death on a cross. Lay down everything, even his own life, to lose everything. Jesus didn't live his life to acquire things, but instead he lived his life scorning the shame, despising the shame of the cross, seeking that glory that he would have with the Father beyond the cross, the kingdom of God, a people saved by grace through faith, knowing him, enjoying him. Jesus died to acquire these eternal pleasures so that because of his obedience to the Father's will, because he went to the cross, died in the place of sinners, rose from the dead, he entrusted himself to the Father, so much so that he was willing to be laid in a grave, dead, not breathing, and then risen on the third day to glory at the right hand of the Father he ascended. And now he's been given the name above every name, that every knee would bow, In heaven, on earth, under the earth, every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. An eternal treasure that neither moth nor rust destroys, that thieves cannot break in and steal. The kingdom of God. Jesus was willing to die for eternal treasure. And now we look to him not only his example, but the power of of this, this opening in the kingdom of God, a way in, that we would trust in Christ and what he did for us so that we can see now, we can see that life is so much more than just temporary pleasures. Gain as much as you can, gather as much pleasure as you can, and then one day you'll die and that'll be it. But instead, through the cross of Christ, through his obedience, through Christ seeking a great eternity for us, we can see that this life is about more than this life. He's gone ahead of us. He possesses the kingdom. He calls us to come and be citizens of his kingdom, to live beyond this world. And that can happen every day of your actual life. I'll I'll just give an example. Because all of our lives are a little bit different, they all have different facets and ways that we have to spend our time and all those things, but we all have some kind of life together, don't we? Not all, maybe not all of us have jobs, all of us may not have spouses, all of us may not have kids, But what we all do have that kind of brings us together is the fact that you're in this room. We have a way that we can live life together that is not about making much of me and gathering something for myself, possessions, earthly treasures, temporary things that can be lost, but instead we can live life together in a way that will store up eternal treasure. It will be good for the name of Jesus. It will be good for us in eternity. Things that God will always be pleased with. Things that we can enjoy forever. Like how we sacrifice for one another. An absolute contradiction to living for yourself 
Let me say it like this, where it hits home, where Jesus really is attacking. Are we going to, together, communally, as a community, are we going to serve God or money? This plays out in a, in a really simple kind of reality. How do we spend our money to gather security for ourselves, to gather pleasure and enjoyment that's temporary for ourselves, or are we going to spend our money so that it, it goes out, so that it bears fruit for the name of Christ, so that it's good for all of us? Remember in Acts chapter two, there wasn't anybody in the, in the early church in Jerusalem, no one had any need because every person was bringing their possessions and making them available to the whole community. Nobody counted any of his possessions his own. But he said, this is ours. Are we going to spend our money in a way that is good for our temporary security? Are we going to work to get money, to have as much as possible so that it would be good for our own security and pleasures or so that it would be good for the community of Christ? I'm not saying that because I'm trying to rally to increase the church budget. I don't even know what it is, to be honest with you. If you ask me what the number is, I'm not sure I could tell you off the top of my head. Right now, as it stands, I, I don't know if there's anything that we really need to pay for. If there's, some, you know, we're no, we don't have a thermometer on stage, like building fund or whatever. And when it gets to a hundred, you know, we get to do something fun. There, there's nothing like that's going on right now. Just in response to what Jesus is saying, how can we just, how can we respond together faithfully so that Christ is honored? There's an eternal kind of aspect to our treasure building not just temporary and personal. This is just Christianity. This is just Christianity. It's just following Christ, listening to him, heeding his wisdom. You can only have one master. Who's it gonna be? God or money? What's your greatest desire, to honor God or to honor yourself? To please God or to please yourself? to have security in what Christ has accomplished for you or to have security in your money and how big your bank account is and how well your stocks are doing and how much you've built up your 401k. Where's your security? Jesus says, look, you need to choose. Who are you going to find your utmost enjoyment in? Find your utmost security and pleasure in? God or money? And once that desire has been recognized in you, there may be some need for repentance where you realign the desires of your heart so that they're fixated on Christ, the one true appropriate direction of all of our desire as human beings. And once we've fixated our desire appropriately on Christ as the greatest treasure, how will we then align our lives so that they reflect and agree with our desires? Because we don't want to be people who talk with our mouths about the glory of Christ, but then spend our money toward the glory of ourselves. We don't want to be the kind of disingenuous people. We want to be Christians. Christians. Real Christianity lived out. It's, I don't think, uh, a mistake or a coincidence that just after this, he goes on to talk about anxiety. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, verse 25 says. Don't be anxious about your life. He said, therefore, don't be anxious about your life. If you choose to serve God, if you choose to, to have an eternal perspective and store up treasures in heaven, that all of your goals, your aspirations, your desires are directed at Christ, his glory, his kingdom, the enjoyment of him, you will have nothing to be anxious for. What are we usually anxious for? Our stuff, our stuff, having enough of it, running out of it, having it taken from us, 
having a nice enough thing, for goodness sake, how many, I'm, listen, I'm with you here, how many times have you gone in and stared in the refrigerator full of food and been like, God, there's nothing to eat. And it's full, it's like overflowing, all the jars are rattling when you open the door. You go into the pantry, God, there's nothing to eat, and it's full, it's overflowing with stuff. You know, the same thing is always happening in all these different aspects of our lives. Just overflowing with all the possessions and comforts and ease. And I'm not saying your whole life is easy. But I am saying that God has provided for us. God has provided for us. We have enough. And if we have Christ only, we have abundantly enough. What are we striving for, yearning for? Why do we feel so much emptiness? Why do we feel this kind of, this, this desperation to keep trying to build something? We have Christ. Is he enough for us? Now, I realize that as we've been just, uh, again, I know I say this all the time, but if I can just for a minute stop being, you know, the preacher who's on the little elevated platform and you're all a congregation sitting there doing what people in congregations do. Oh, hello. If we, can, if we cannot be in the ritual right now and just be some people in a room together, just being humans who have believed some things, who have some hopes, right? If we can just be in a room together right now, I understand that as we've been seeking to learn from Jesus over the past several weeks, we keep on bumping up against these real sensitive parts of our hearts. Have you noticed that? I've been feeling that a lot. Even as I preach to you, there's the thing coming out of my mouth and then there's a back of my mind that's like... (laughs) Because I know me, I know me and I'm not, I promise you, I'm not preaching me to you, I'm preaching Jesus to you and I along with you over and over again, Jesus is teaching, saying this is the kingdom, this is the way of life you're called to, this is the greatest treasure, these are the things that are worthy of your devotion, this is real Christianity and over and over and over again I find myself just cringing at my weakness, just cringing at my earthliness, my sinfulness, my lack of devotion to God is just sickening to me. I feel it. If it's in you, I hope you feel it. I realize we keep on, we keep on hitting these very sensitive things in our hearts, even these nerves that just bother, things that we don't like to think about. We want to just come to church, and it's so, church is so much easier when you come and you sit down and you sing songs that you believe in, and then somebody opens up the Bible and they go, guys, we're doing great. We're doing awesome. Isn't following Jesus just the most natural thing? I can see you all doing it. That's easy, man. It's so easy to sit under the word of God when someone takes the word of God and they go, look, as far as I'm concerned, y'all are nailing it. Just go enjoy loopies, right? Just go feast and be merry because we are nailing it. Just stand up here and talk about how great our church is. Church is so easy when every sermon is just a sales pitch for how great that church is. Man, we're doing this and we did that and God did this and Have you seen our website? Man. But when we come to God honestly, as we actually are, in all of our limitations and all of our weaknesses, real like like sin before us, I know who I am, I hear what Jesus is saying, I, I, I can see that I have a long way to go. That if I'm going to be authentically devoted to Christ, I, I have a long road ahead of me. And if that's where you've been, if that's where you are right now, please don't leave this place thinking, man, I just, I, every, I, I just I'm discouraged. I, I just feel like I, am I even a Christian? If that's what real Christianity is, I don't think about this stuff on a daily basis. 
I, I haven't arranged my time and I don't spend my money thinking this way. How can I store up treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroy, where thieves can't break in? I buy stuff all the time that somebody could break in and steal. We all drove here in things that rust can destroy. We're all wearing things that moth can destroy. This is what we spend most of our money and time on. This is what we're mostly anxious about. Please don't leave this place discouraged because you feel like you're on the wrong end of this. Please remember who's speaking here. Remember who's speaking. The one who died to create the availability of repentance through grace. Repentance through the grace of God that he would look on you and say, yes, I see you too. I see you too. I see all those misappropriated funds, all that that awkward spending of time where you believe this but then live like that. I see it all too. And you know what? It doesn't change that I sent my son to die in your place, that you would be free, free to look at it and call it what it is and repent joyfully, pursuing Christ as your greatest treasure with all the failures, all the mishaps, all the misappropriations. A gracious God who loves you, keeps calling, keeps drawing, keeps equipping, keeps building up, keeps changing, keeps sanctifying, so that one day, one day, the work will be complete. The work will be complete. It's not yet. The one Paul who wrote that, all that really good stuff about I count all things as rubbish, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, the same one said, look, not that I've already attained all this. Not that I've already been made complete. But I press on. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. A complete work, an absolute devotion to our true master, God. One day that work will be complete. Strive for that, build towards that, devote your time and money and attention and purpose to that goal, God's goal, to be conformed to the image of Christ for the glory of Christ, for the treasure of Christ. Remember who's talking here. He loves you, he knows you, he calls you. He's building you up, not tearing you down. We have to remember this, that Jesus died so that we could hear and respond. He doesn't sit on a judgment seat here. He's crucified, resurrected, and interceding here. He's coming to us in grace. And I believe this morning, even as Jesus' words go flying out and hitting your ears and, and rattling around in your minds and I hope sinking into your hearts, I hope that you believe Jesus is working here for your good, for your joy, for your eternal treasure. Let's keep seeking him for that. Let's pray about it.